The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Oh, it is good to be back in the battle. We know Laxalt. He's not on our side and has never been. But people like Senator Masto are too cowardly to actually defend their policies. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. Who's turning out and who's most enthusiastic to turn out is super important. And right now, Republicans have the advantage there. My God, that big spending Democrat Biden, man, he's taking us in debt. Well, guess what? I reduced the federal deficit this year by $1,400,000,000. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Less than a week to the election, and Barack Obama lands in Las Vegas to save one of the most vulnerable Democrats in the Senate. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the midterms loom with polls showing momentum for Republicans, and we'll talk about it with the Dean of Nevada Politics, John Ralston of the Nevada Independent. Later, we're joined by Congressman Ted Lieu, former impeachment manager from California, talks to us about election security and the threat of political violence following the midterms. And would you pay eight bucks for the blue check? The White House has not decided yet, apparently. We'll talk about that and a lot more with our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano for the hour. It was a big night for politics in Las Vegas. Both parties holding rallies last night for candidates in some very close races that we're going to be taking a look at. None closer, it seems, than the race for Senate. The seat held by Democrat Catherine Cortez Masto and Republican Adam Laxalt's would like to take it. You all know who he is. You know Adam Laxalt, right? <laughs> you know him. You know him because you stood with the majority of Nevadans who rejected him the last time he ran for office. A well-rehearsed, well-delivered line. Senator Masto sharing the stage with Barack Obama uh, last night while Laxalt was across town. But people like Senator Masto are too cowardly to actually defend their policies. Go into the arena and tell the public that you believe the Green New Deal is so important that you have to pay $6 gas. Let's have that debate. And with less than a week, the race is too close to call. The 538 average, I was just looking at this here. My God, they're within a point. Laxalt, 46.7, Cortez Masto, 46.2. There was a lot of talk as well about the governor's race last night. And we get to put it all together here with, as I mentioned, the dean of Nevada politics. I've been looking forward to this. John Ralston is with us. The man behind the Nevada Independent as well, where he is not only a journalist, but a CEO. John, it's great to have you with us here on Bloomberg Radio. I'm sure your head is spinning here as we get a little bit closer. But are these numbers jiving with what you're hearing on the ground? And I ask you because I saw what you were tweeting here uh, Dems actually won election day in 2018, you say, unlikely in 22. And of course, that has a lot to do with who turns out that day. And that's when Republicans plan to hit the polls, right? Exactly right. And, and I've been tracking all of the early vote numbers here. And uh, they're much more predictive than in most states, uh, because so many people vote before election day. It's usually two thirds here in Nevada. And in 2020, 
because we now have universal mail uh, sent to every every registered voter. It was 90 percent of the vote was in before Election Day. And so we have some sense of what's happening on the ground, as you mentioned, and that is that it's very close. Mm-hmm. Those polls, the, the the 538 average, they're they're close for a reason. And and the Democrats here usually bank uh, enough votes before election day to do well. Uh, that that is very shaky this time. This Senate race uh, brings a good deal of name recognition, actually on both sides, right? Certainly Laxalt, but both have families uh, with political histories in Nevada. How does that play? Well, I don't. I don't think most of the voters uh, are now, you know, Nevada has so it doesn't tremendous play. turnover, uh, and and so not, most people here probably don't even recognize the wow. Laxalt or Matt Cortez names the way they might have in the past. They know the Obama oh, name, though. Oh, well, they certainly know the Obama name, and there's a reason that Barack Obama came, uh, and that is because the Democrats are worried about their base turnout in a midterm with. Joe Biden's yeah, right. underwater here as he is in most states. So they brought Obama to essentially juice the turnout. And if there's going to be an effect on that, I think the first day we'll feel it is today because he was here last night. So we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. see what those numbers look like later on. He seemed like he was having a pretty good time. Here's Barack Obama from the rally. If you've got a full Thanksgiving dinner table, <laughs> and they're all saying you don't belong in the U.S. Senate, when the people who know you best think your opponent would do a better job, that says something about you. There. <laughs> and it says something about Catherine. John, there were a number of his family members. It might have not been enough to fill a Thanksgiving table, but but actually did say that, yes, you know, st- stick with the one you've got. Uh, Cortez Masto, not this guy we're related to. Is that a big story locally? It's not as big as you might think for, for a couple of reasons. First of all, you had this same phenomenon when Laxalt ran for governor, and even more so four years ago when a dozen of family members wrote a piece in the, in the Reno uh, paper essentially saying this guy is terrible, he's a carpetbagger, he's unqualified, <laughs> don't elect him your governor. They took a different approach this time, and there were a couple more added to that list. There were 14. And they, the piece that, that they put out was essentially just a gushing embrace of Catherine Cortez Masto. Uh, does that have an, an effect? If the race is essentially tied, as many of these polls show, every little thing could matter. So it might matter. Wow. Well, I don't know if this is actually even closer uh, in the gubernatorial race. My goodness, this is incredible here to see uh, Lombardo Sisolak, again, within a point. Well, I guess it's, what, eight-tenths on the 538 average, so they're not too far off. Uh, from the Senate race, actually. Governor Steve Sisolak, tell us how popular he is going up against uh, a Trump-endorsed Republican named Joe Lombardo. Yeah, Steve Sisolak is a COVID-era governor, of course, and so he has been hurt by that. But his numbers are not as bad as some other uh, Democratic governors. Uh, The problem that he has, though, is this is a purple state, and so every little bit is going to be important in, in a race like this, and Joe Lombardo is not that well-known a candidate statewide. He's the sheriff of Clark County, and while he has been endorsed by Trump, uh, he has kind of tried to have it both ways. Uh, during a debate about a month ago, uh, I asked him if he thought Trump was a great president, and he said he wouldn't use that adjective. Uh, that he would say he was a sound president. You can imagine how Trump felt about that. A few hours later, they they walked that back, and then he appeared with Trump a few days after that and called him the greatest president. That was your fault. You can see that this is going on all over the country. That was a 
character-revealing moment, I'm afraid, uh, for, for the sheriff. But does any of that stuff make any difference? I'll keep saying the same answer to you, and, and that is that if the race is that close, Every little thing could be be important. It was interesting to hear Adam Laxalt uh, getting back to the Senate race here talk about polls last night. He doesn't believe them. And he made the point, John, that that's because Republicans don't talk to pollsters. And you know that that that's a thing, right? Republicans love to tell pollsters to go to hell. Here's, Here's how he put it. You've seen some of the polls, and they said there's no red wave, and the Democrats are going to win, and everything's fine. Remember that little phase of 2022? None of you participate in polls, correct? I should take a poll. Anybody here participate in polls? Raise your hand. One person raises their okay, hand. Okay, one. Yeah, one person. All right, I hope you really gave them hell. <laughs> okay, so we love pollsters. Uh, John Ralston, is he onto something there, though? Is, is there a missing five points in Republicans' favor? Well, the, the, the opposite has proved true in Nevada, cycle over cycle, that uh, polling is undersampled Democrats here, but I don't put much stock in, in, in a lot of different polls anyhow. Yeah. Uh, there's very few pollsters who do a good job here in Nevada, but it's interesting hmm. that Laxalt would be saying that since his campaign has been bragging for weeks <laughs> that he has been ahead in every in almost every poll that has been taken. So uh, th- that is just a, 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 a you know red meat for the base kind of statement okay. to make. Uh, and, and listen, a, he, he may well win the race by two or three points. I'd be surprised if he won it uh, by anything more than that. I'm curious, uh, uh, John, now that Shelley Adelson is gone, what does the Adelson name mean now in Republican politics in, in Nevada? Uh, Miriam Adelson, I know, is one of the richest people in the world. There's still a good deal of potential influence there. But does that name mean what it used to? Well, it wasn't so much his name that meant much here, but his money, of course. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she she has not spent nearly as much as he had he had in the past, but what she has spent is generally what he spent it on, and that is, uh, uh, you know, trying to help fund super PACs and and organizations that have then uh, funneled that money back to Nevada to help an Adam Laxalt or a Joe Lombardo. But Mm -hmm. she has not been nearly as active as Sheldon was in terms of the amount of money that she has spent. It's just uh, it's something worth asking, considering, you know, this sort of rise in anti-Semitic rhetoric that we've been hearing. And I wonder if that's something that she takes more of a stand on going forward. Is it true, John, that that's the closest Senate race in the country? Is is Senator Masto the most vulnerable senator in America? That, that That's what they tell me. Uh, listen, uh, all of uh, all of these Senate races, not all of them, but in the swing states, they're generally very, very close. Yeah. Uh, we've had a lot of close race Senate races, including some that I've covered uh, here that have been won by hundreds of votes, uh, including Harry Reid and John Ensign in 1998. And that, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. is the closest one in history. Uh, so I think it, I think it is going to be very close. John Ralston, the dean of Nevada politics. Thank you, John, for the insights. Good luck with what is left of your midterm coverage here. Find him at the Nevada Independent when he's not talking with us here on the fastest hour in politics. Yeah, that was fun, right? Politics in Vegas. Hello, Las Vegas! Oh, it is good to be back in Nevada. Whenever I come to Vegas, the hardest part is getting my team to leave. Somebody's always late for the ride to the airport. They're looking a little ragged. 
A little bleary eyed. You know, sometimes <laughs> they're, all, they're, they're always a little late. <laughs> Someday we got to meet the panel in Las Vegas, right? That's a show. We got to make that happen, Matt. We're going to do this. Rick and Jeannie on the strip. They're up next here, though. Our signature panel in the best in the business on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. As we assemble our panel, Rick and Jeannie are with us. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Chanzano and Rick Davis. The night after Las Vegas. Fast forward to today, of course, we're talking about the Federal Reserve and so many other issues here. A little bit later on, we'll be joined by Congressman Ted Lieu, Democrat from California, about election security. And there's a lot to talk about there with an update on the story we discussed yesterday. Much more ahead, though. Well, we're talking Las Vegas here. Does 2020 matter anymore? Seems so many of the deniers have kind of pulled back, not including Carrie Lake. Uh, Senator uh, Cortez Masto, though, speaking last night about Adam Laxalt's history with the issue. Now he's continuing to spread that big lie. Not only that the 2020 election was stolen, but if he loses this election to me... He's claiming it's stolen and he's going to do an investigation. It is outrageous. We know Laxalt. He's not on our side and has never been. And Barack Obama uh, came loaded for bear on this issue, too. He has no actual evidence of election fraud because there's actually no widespread election fraud. But he's not going to let that stop him. He's going to look under every rock in the desert to try to find an excuse Although if he wins, I'm guessing he'll be less concerned. All those votes will be legit. Funny how that works. Rick Davis, uh, that was at one point a box you had to check as a Republican seeking the endorsement of Donald Trump or even uh, the support of a lot of voters in in some states, including Nevada, including Arizona. Uh, Does Adam Laxalt say that out loud now or is he one of the deniers who has turned away from 2020? Yeah, I don't think there's very many, including Adam Laxalt, who want to, pro- you know, prosecute the 2020 election. I think, you know, that's in the rearview mirror of anybody who's actually on the November ballot because there's nobody who's going to vote on that. He's got the base vote. They're going to turn out because he's a Republican and he's Trump endorsed. And 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 none of these swing voters care about the 2020 election. Uh, that's old news. So uh, he can he can say those things, but he's not going to be. Uh, driving any votes. Uh, yeah. The reality is it's much more uh, likely that he's going to be talking about his opponent because it's not about what the Republicans stand for. It's how much do you want change from the current administration? And that includes Democratic senators. Can Republicans flip this one, Jeannie? They 
absolutely can. I mean, you mentioned some of the polls. I've been looking at the polls. This is within a margin. Let's not forget Biden carried Nevada by less than 2.5 percent. Clinton by less than 2.5. This was one of seven states where Trump improved his 2016 margin, even though he narrowly lost it. So it is a state that absolutely could flip. She is the most vulnerable Democrat probably on the ballot this year. Um, And, you know, on this issue of election denial and democracy being on the ballot, we're going to hear from the president tonight. But they have Barack Obama out there, as John said, because they're trying to piece together a coalition on individual issues and boost turnout, which is not looking good for Democrats this right now. So, you know, pocketbook issues they have to address, but they're trying to weave together essentially a coalition. We heard Master Cortez talking about abortion, the president on student loans, democracy being on the ballot, hoping they can drum up turnout amongst Democrats. And it is, you know, going to be hard to do, but it's the last six days and they're out there trying. It's interesting, uh, Rick, having spoken with John Ralston just now, he, he says models of votes cast so far say the major Nevada races are very close. We know that the difference in past cycles is that Democrats generally banked enough votes to have leads before Election Day, knowing that Republicans usually win on Election Day. So what does that mean for Nevada next week? Well, I think there are a lot of states like that that have the majority of their votes cast uh, early. And even though Donald Trump goes out and tells Republicans, don't vote early, which makes no sense whatsoever, um, uh, Republicans have gotten used to it, right? One of the hangovers of of COVID is it's a lot easier to vote in mail. That's right. And so Republicans are taking advantage of it. I think you see that phenomena not only happening here uh, in Nevada, where we're talking about, but in places like Arizona, where I think you see a lot more Republican participation in the 70 plus percent that vote early. So uh, it was almost identical, wasn't it? It was almost identical within a percentage point in Arizona. Republicans are getting with this. Yeah, exactly. And 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 frankly, I think the party ought to embrace it because um, the, uh, we do well with more voters. I mean, that's just a bottom line. The dynamics have changed over the time and and higher turnouts are not an indicator of Democratic uh, power. And so in places like this, look, it looks like the turnout's going to be higher than 18, but lower mm-hmm. than 20. And so that's that could be an interesting sweet spot for Republicans to take advantage. That's this is a really important development people need to be aware of. But that's why you listen. I have to ask you both about uh, Jay Powell. It's a Fed day, of course. I don't know that people are talking about this over the dinner table tonight, but the reaction on Wall Street was for real. uh, Certainly after the news conference, listen to Jay Powell talking about the strength of the job market and what it's going to mean for their job going forward. Remember, the strength in the job market is what the White House points to as the sort of salve for everything else going on here. I know there's a lot of inflation, but we're not going to a recession because of the job market. Although job vacancies have moved below their highs and the pace of job gains has slowed from earlier in the year, the labor market continues to be out of balance. Out of balance. With demand substantially exceeding the supply of available workers. And you know what that means, Jeannie? They have to force some people to lose their jobs to get a hold of inflation. What kind of a political statement, a campaign message is that? It's a horrible one, and that's why we saw the Democrats, Elizabeth Warren and others, send a letter that the Fed doesn't have to listen to and may not even read at this point. It's just listen to it on TV and on the radio. But, you know, they're very, very concerned that this is going to be the impact. Six days before an election, a week before an election, we're looking at losing jobs, which is never a good sign for the party in power. And fast forward to, to 2023 when we're talking presidential candidates and we're in a recession. 
It just gets more complicated. Rick and Jeannie are here for the hour. We turn to Congressman Ted Lieu next on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. Counting down the days to Election Day 2022 and so many issues to talk about. Galen Druk, uh, who works at 538, says this is going to come down to a story once again of turnout. We found that 70 percent of the districts that are at least somewhat competitive in the House this cycle are in the suburbs. And the question is, will they swing back to Republicans after a swinging left in 2020 and 2018? You know, districts that had been voting for Republican representatives for 50 years swung in a backlash to Trump. The question this year is, will there be a backlash to Biden? And so far, our forecast shows that Republicans have an 83 percent chance of winning the House. So that seems likely. The backdrop of our conversation with Congressman Ted Lieu, the Democrat from California, joins us now on Bloomberg. Congressman, welcome back. Thank you. Honored to be back. Well, you seem to be in pretty darn good shape leading into your primary. No one is talking about this as a much of a contest. Uh, for the 36th Congressional District. How about the House, though, Congressman? Is the narrative wrong right now? Yes. Uh, I'm blessed to have a terrific district, and I've been traveling around the country helping others hold the House, and I'm seeing high energy at all the events, and I believe we're going to have a number of surprises uh, this November 8th, and I look forward to holding the House. President Biden has been talking about this from a couple of different perspectives. He was out again, uh, of course, last evening, said if Republicans win, they will repeal the Inflation Reduction Act. Is that something that you're worried about? And, and couldn't he just veto that? I'm worried that if Republicans control the House and Senate, that they could, in fact, do a lot of damage uh, to the great laws that we passed, uh, such as Inflation Reduction Act, which has Medicare now for the first time negotiate prescription drug prices to help reduce the cost of prescription drugs. And in terms of other legislation, there are things that Republicans can do to stop good legislation coming through. So, for example, Democrats want to have insulin cap of $35 for everyone in America. Republicans could stop that. And so this is a very consequential election. Let's say uh, you keep the House, as you suggest. What's the list for Democrats, the to-do list, post-midterms? If that would actually, if that happens, that would be a big deal. Would you pursue an expanded child tax credit? Is there something else that you have on the agenda? Yes. If we hold the House and elect two more Democratic U.S. senators, we can remove the filibuster and put Roe v. Wade in as a law of the land. We can cap insulin at $35 for everyone in America. We can put in campaign finance reform, and put in voting rights. You're adding the Senate to that, but with regard to the House, there's been talk about codifying same-sex marriage, for instance. Is there a way to get that done, even with with a split balance of power on Capitol Hill? Uh, That would be difficult unless we can uh, eliminate the filibuster, because unfortunately, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle are very anti-LGBTQ. In terms of other things we could do if we hold the House, We could get things through reconciliation, which, for example, refers to things such as expanded child tax credit. That is something we could do if we hold the House. Congressman Liu, a lot of people know you as one of the impeachment managers uh, from Donald Trump's second impeachment. And there's a big conversation going on right now. In fact, there was an important uh, federal court injunction just in the last 24 hours surrounding uh, what many see as voter intimidation around uh, drop boxes, ballot drop boxes. 
And there are a lot of people are worried about what's going to happen following the midterms if it becomes, uh, you know, it, it, there's a sense of many contested races, which there could be. There's so many that are just too close to call right now. Do you worry about a, a, a violent outburst following the midterm elections if these are hung up for days or weeks? I think we always have to be reminded of January 6th and what happened when a former president incited an attack on our nation's capital. We also recently saw a right-wing extremist break into Speaker Pelosi's home and attack her husband with a hammer. So we always have to be watchful for any violence that could occur. Again, with their ballot drop boxes and all the election-denying stuff you're seeing, we still, two years later, don't have any response from the Republican Party as to who stole the election nor how it was done. And they can't explain it because the election wasn't stolen. Seven million people didn't get together and conspire and have some grand conspiracy to steal the election. They just voted for Biden over Trump. Donald Trump lost. That's what happened. Just last night, uh, Kerry Lake, who who may well be the next governor of Arizona, says if you don't believe this election was stolen, then you're part of a conspiracy theory, Congressman. Let's listen. The truth is that Joe Biden did not win with 81 million votes. And if, and if you believe he did, then you are the conspiracy theorist. And what was so funny to me about that comment is she still can't explain how it was stolen. And that's because she can't. The election was not stolen. The American people rose up and fired Donald Trump. That's what happened. And Donald Trump's former Attorney General Bill Barr says that. He came out repeatedly and said the election conspiracy theories are, quote, bullshit, unquote. <laughs> Congress, never thought I'd have to bleep you on the air. Uh, You mentioned Nancy Pelosi. You're also hearing pushback from Republicans who say this is a crime story, that this could have happened to anybody. And in fact, it has been happening to a lot of people and no one's ever outraged until it's, you know, a member of the elite in 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 a neighborhood in San Francisco here. You actually live in California. What do you tell Republicans who say crime has run wild because of Democrats? Well, I, I suppose it's a crime story uh, in the sense that, you know, the person who shot Ronald Reagan committed a crime, but that was also a targeted attack mm-hmm. and the elected official. And so what we have here is it's a targeted attack at the elected official. And Nancy wasn't there. The right wing extremists kept asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? But her husband was there and he attacked him. The police and prosecutors uh, in Recent reporting also say that he had other politicians he was going to go after and attack. So this was a very targeted attack by right-wing extremists. We need to call it what it is. Have you spoken with the speaker? I have texted her, and I have received emails from her, and I want to give her uh, the privacy and space to deal with a very traumatic event. Yeah. I wonder if she'll appear before cameras or make a statement before election night, Congressman. Is that something she should do? Uh, that is totally up to her. I, I don't have any uh, thoughts on that. Well, I appreciate your coming in to talk to us again. Congressman Ted Lieu from the 33rd on the way to 36, right? Have you got new stationery ready for that? Actually, I can't ask you that. You have to wait a couple of days. The higher the number, the better. Okay. So there we go. Congressman, thanks for your time today. Come back and see us on Bloomberg Radio. Thank you.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So the White House has deleted a tweet after it was tagged, well, by Twitter, of course, with a fact check disclaimer. And boy, they thought this was going to be a good one. In fact, well, the president used the line last night as he spoke to supporters. One more thing on our watch for the first time in 10 years. Seniors are getting the biggest increase in Social Security checks, period. Yeah, applause line. Big, big checks coming. Well, well, sure. You get the biggest increase in Social Security payments because you're getting the biggest increase in inflation. You know that's how this works, right? That's a, a law. Goes back to the 1970s. Social Security payments must go up by the same percentage that consumer prices go up. So... Guess what, everybody? One more thing. On our watch, for the first time in 10 years, seniors are getting the biggest increase in Social Security checks, period. 10 years. And that's exactly what the White House tweeted. Seniors getting the biggest increase. 10 years through President Biden's leadership, it said. Twitter tagged it. Readers added context they thought people might want to know. And then there's the explainer here. Seniors will receive a large benefit, blah, 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 which is based on the inflation rate. 1972, President Nixon signed into law automatic benefit adjustments. So should it have said through President Nixon's leadership? Let's assemble the panel. Rick and Jeannie are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, I don't think that, uh, Rick, a tweet has been fact-checked by Twitter since the Trump administration, a White House tweet. We really going to be taking credit for Look, I guess you take credit for everything right before an election. Is that it? Well, you know, I thought that President Biden said it was the Fed's job to manage inflation. And so the fact that the Fed has managed it up so much, they should get credit for increasing the Social Security benefits. <laughs> well, does this is this the new Republican talking point? Did the president just give it to him, Jeannie? Well, you know, listen, Joe Biden is at a tough time, Joe Matthew. You know, he, you know, it's difficult. So they're trying to take credit for some bit of, you know, increase in money people are going to get without fessing up to the fact that he has neither control over COLA (laughs) or inflation. And they're getting it as a result of that. Neither did he say that there have also been increases every year of the Trump administration and the first two years of the Biden administration. But this is the biggest in a decade. Yes. The fact is that he, you know, it's six days to go. The numbers don't look good. They're trying to do what they can to get people hopeful on the economy. A little bit of money in seniors' pockets, no matter how it got there, he's going to take credit. Listen, he's got to take the blame when gas goes up, and that's not his fault either. So, you know, it's it's all around. But I think what's really interesting is the fact check by Twitter, which, as you said, we haven't seen a lot. In, in the Biden administration. Yeah, no doubt. I wonder why that has... So, look, you guys have heard this. I've had any number of people come up to me this week and say, does it feel different on Twitter? You know, Elon Musk? This thing's skewing right already. 
And I don't know if that's true, but I do know that apparently they're going to start charging us for a blue check. So let me ask you guys about this. This came up today at the White House. You're going to pay $8 a month for a blue check? Because, by the way, I'm not. You can just you know take it away. You've done it before, Twitter. You've taken the check away. You gave it back to me. I'll let you do what you need to do. How about the White House? So, look, I, I don't believe it's it, it's uh, an issue that made it to the president's desk yet. It's not a conversation <laughs> that the president uh, uh, has uh, is is aware of. As you know, we're focused on many things. It is kind of an interesting thought here, Rick. I mean, does the White House give Elon Musk eight bucks a month to be verified? Well, I don't think they want to give Elon Musk anything. They certainly haven't since the beginning of this administration. They don't yeah. even invite him to EV meetings. But right. uh the bottom line is, I mean, like, here we are talking about Elon Musk again. I mean, yes, this sir. guy gets himself into the news cycle any way he can. And uh, and yeah, I mean, like, he wants you to feel like Twitter's gotten different since he bought it. it mm. That's his whole value premise yes, is I'm right. going to make it better. Starting by tagging White House tweets, I guess, Jeannie. Uh, would, look, I don't think either of you guys care about this, right? Rick, you're not paying eight bucks for a blue check. Uh, I don't even know what the blue check does. For I love, you, frankly, that. I mean, <laughs> what I love about you, Jeannie, do you care enough to put money down and should the White House will news agencies is Bloomberg going to have to pay eight bucks a month for a blue check? Yeah, and let's not forget when the White House pays, that means our tax money is well, going to Elon true. Musk. You know, and <laughs> you know what did Stephen King say? He said, "F that, you should pay me. I'm out of here." And <laughs> that's right. Elon that's by Musk, the way how it came down from twenty. It was that's that how tweet it came down. And the the best tweet of the day I thought was this guy who said, "So you've got somebody worth two hundred billion talking to somebody worth five hundred million about how to save twelve dollars right. a month." It's ludicrous. Oh, the entire conversation, although in Elon Musk's defense, he's got to pay what one billion a year to pay back the debt, and they got to yeah. make money as he said we got to make money some way help me out guys clip genie for a promo right now <laughs> i'm that there was, to help elon let me tell you wound up and you know look and apparently donald trump's not coming back uh maybe was that the genesis for for this idea of subscription fees he talked about it in an interview this week if i go on there what would happen to truth i don't know you know i i don't I, know but God. but the answer is i'm not doing it okay i, I won't go back on and but I find truth to be much better. Okay, fine. You want to advertise truth here. But do we believe this, Rick? He's not going to go back on Twitter with however many million followers he had? You know, look, I mean, he's financially connected to the success of True Social, right? And yep. so why does he want to? I mean, the one thing that, that, that you never want to do is you never want to get in front of a microphone between you and, and mm. Schumer. And you don't want to get in the way of a dollar bill for Donald Trump. So uh, I, I think Donald Trump's going to go where the money is. I don't think he really cares that much about it. <laughs> that was quite thing. an equivalency from Rick Davis. I, I have to ask you about a couple of things in the next, well, 24 hours and also in the next week here. Uh, and this brings us back into the White House press briefing today. I'd like to hear from Rick Angini on this. Tonight, the president is going to talk. And this was a late scheduled event. He's going over to Union Station, by the way. If you thought you were getting on a train with no notice, just change your plans. I cannot imagine rolling up on Columbus Circle right now in front of Union Station. But he's going to be talking about an hour from now, actually. And and part of this is going to be about uh, election security. Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre and, and, you know, political violence all wrapped into one, the saving democracy. These are This is not unlike the speech she delivered from Independence Hall, I'm guessing. Corrine Jean-Pierre, though, was asked about the timing here days before the election. Yes, you know, we saw this violent, awful, horrific attack on Paul Pelosi. And so, uh, you know, there are reasons that he believed this time was now uh, to, to, to make sure that... Um, 
he spoke directly to the American people. The way that they're uh, talking about this, uh, by the way, I'll, I'll have to pull up the, the guidance. This is from the White House. will participate in a Democratic National Committee event, but they don't say what he's going to be talking about. It's known, however, that he will be discussing uh, more completely the threats against democracy and so forth. Does that timing feel off to you, Jeannie, or is that the job of the president? Well, you know, this is something Democrats have been asking for for some time. They say he's got a moral obligation to do this, um, that, you know, regardless of politics, he should have spoken out and they've been asking for this. And also, I think it's similar to what we're seeing with you talking about Obama going out to Nevada. They're trying to piece together a coalition of Democrats and people to turn out based on issues beyond the economy. So it's abortion, student loans, democracy on the ballot. And he's going to try to push us. And let's not forget also the events of the last week. The increase in rhetoric. We've been talking about the threats at the polling sites, the attack on Paul Pelosi, and yeah. of course Donald Trump on the radio just the other, just yesterday, talking about these conspiracy theories. So all of this has, you know, I think pushed the president to go out and make this statement. He hasn't been out a lot this election cycle, but for Democrats, this will be a welcome, I believe, depending on how it goes, a welcome step for him to take on this. I don't know if anybody carries this, Rick, or or if it has an impact, but it looks to Republicans, or at least those questioning this and, and criticizing it, that the president's trying to thumb the scale using the bully pulpit here of the presidency to move uh, opinions with less than a week to voting. Where do you draw the line on something like this? You know, look, I mean, yeah, he's he's committed to this. Um, uh, the Democrats I talk to don't think democracy is a winning issue at the ballot right now. Yeah. Uh, they just don't think it moves the needle against the economy. Huh. And, and so I think he's picking the weak hand of cards. And so... Uh, is it something worth talking about if you're president because of the, you know what's happening around the country right now? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do it as a part of a campaign? Uh, I think it's I think it's tricky there. Uh, you know, I, I think that that when you talk to the public about democracy, it means something different to Republicans than it does to some Democrats. And so, uh, uh, but they both think the democracy's at risk. And and I think that he's catching himself in the same sort of crosshairs that he did with that independence. Hall speech, which is, you know, there's going to be a lot of debate around the the speech itself and not like the substance of it. Right. And and that's that does not move the needle. I'm going to add another speech to the list here. And I just want to get a sense of what you guys think, because the president had said he's going to speak the day after the election. Corrine Jean-Pierre, again, the press secretary at the White House, was asked about this again today. What exactly is he going to talk about? Uh, you'll certainly hear from the president. He will give remarks. I uh, don't know yet what it will look like, uh, well, but certainly no. you will hear from yeah. the president uh, the day after the election. Okay. Are those remarks with questions? <laughs> I know you guys always ask me this. Well, when, I don't want to get ahead of uh, ahead of it, but uh-huh. you will. We we will. Uh, you will certainly hear from the president after after election day. Okay. Yes or no? Then, Jeannie, is that when he launches his reelection campaign? Uh, yes, and he may be talking about a shellacking if you believe the numbers, and yeah. he may be talking about people not accepting the results. But we do know that they've been meeting and talking about his plans in 24. And boy, wouldn't that move us right there. Oh, my there. God. Would that be too early, Rick, or good strategy? Um, I, 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 I'm hoping that the <laughs> announcement is that he's not going to run for president, wow. and not that he is going to run for president. Well, uh, and if he's going to announce he's not running, then it's probably not a good strategy because he, he loses the first quarter of the year. Rick and Jeannie, our signature panel on the fastest hour in politics. will be back tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th. 
A thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.